Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where I used to be able to say come for the accent, but as you can hear, I sound a bit different, right? And you stay for the principles. So, what are we going to do here? We got a serious problem. So, I've been doing a speaking tour and after week one, I'm starting to sound more American, which I have no problem with. I actually quite like, but you guys might be offended by it. You might be triggered by it. But secondly, on a serious note, I apologize for how I sound. This week has been, wow, what a week. I have traveled a lot this week and I've spoken a lot. I've spoken every day since Sunday. I apologize secondly because this show is late. This show, as you know, is supposed to be at 12 noon Eastern on a Saturday. I'm recording this at 5.15 Central Time on Sunday evening. So I'm not sure when you're actually going to get to hear this. Hopefully it'll be sometime Monday, but I've been traveling. I've been blessed. I've been, I flew into Atlanta last week. Uh, I went to down south Georgia on Monday for an event. I would fl- drove all the way back to Alabama Tuesday. I've been in Tennessee, all different parts since Wednesday. Right now, I, I'm actually coming to you from, and a big shout out to WSGI in Springfield, Tennessee for allowing me to use the studios because it's been crazy. I've been talking about your principles. I've been talking about reclaiming America's narrative. We had a great event last week in St. George. I, I recorded it the day I arrived and you heard that show last week. You said, I'm home and I'm ready to serve. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing to be back home. And I'm going to talk to you about why it's amazing to be back home. But I also want to talk to you about some big issues of the day because, my God, have I seen a different country. So let's start with the good stuff, shall we? Let's ease into things about how this is so good to be back home. So first off, I'm home. I'm back where I belong. It's been two long years. This tour has been, my God, you would not go believe how much work has gone into this tour. And I'm so blessed. 65 events and Roughly 85 days. I cannot wait. I'm here to Thanksgiving. I'm going to be sharing a powerful message, and I hope to meet some of you along the way. I've already met some of you. It's been great to meet you, great to hug you. It's amazing how good your country is. Your people are still nice. Your people are still optimistic. But one of the amazing things is because I was talking to my mother one of the days, she's like, what's it like being back there? I'm like, look, anytime I'm in America, I'm going to be happy because it's where I feel comfortable. But the idea of being in America after being in Ireland for the last two years, and specifically the last 18 months, it is so amazing to see people smile. It is so amazing to have a conversation with people. It is unbelievably amazing. And I'm not a really touchy-feely person. I'm not a hugger. But it's been amazing to hug so many people. Whereas in Ireland, we wouldn't even, you know, when this started, you know, remember the 15 days to slow the spread. You can't touch people. You can't hug people. You can't shake people's hands. Well, guys would do fist bumps. 
Then we started, no, that's that's wrong. Even fist bumps get, get past coronavirus. We touch elbows now. But in Ireland, even then, it was like, oh, I don't know whether we can touch elbows. Yes, you have clothes on, I have clothes on. You know, it's only it's only going to be a brief touch. We're not going to have a long, intimate makeout session. We're just going to touch elbows and, oh, 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 no. It's been amazing to just hug people. And it's amazing. I get some people that haven't wanted a hug, and I respect that. You know, they're vulnerable, and some people have worn masks at the events. That's great. Freedom is this wonderful idea where you do you and I'll do me. But the option to hug people, the option to engage with people, the option to shake people's hand is amazing. And I'll tell you why it's amazing. Human contact, human emotion, human connection is built on touch. As someone who is not a hugger and not a really touchy-feely person, I understand the power of it. It is amazing. And thank God there's large parts of your country that still embrace this novel idea called freedom, but also this novel idea of looking after your own health. And also this idea that, you know what? It's good to make a connection with people. But I want to talk to you about some of the big issues of the day, because as good as it is to be here, there's some things we need to talk about. So I'm going to give you a story. So as you can guess and as you can hear, I'm struggling right now. I've, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't BS people. I'm, I'm really tired right now. I'm exhausted. It's been a long week of events, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If I had to add up all the miles I've traveled, it's at least 1,500 this week alone. And that's all driving, no flying. But I'm not blessed with a preacher's voice. And with all this driving, one of the things I do, I get, I do get unhealthy. I need sugar. And after a couple of one of the events, I was really tired on a long, I think like a six-hour drive ahead of me. I was like, I need some sugar. But also my throat is sore and I've got a lot of speaking to do. And I said, I'm going to get some ice cream. And then, you know, the typical American thing is like, well, I need sugar. I need like a Snickers or Reese's Pieces or something. And I need some ice cream. Hey, why don't we do the thing? Like just instead of having two things, have one. So I ended up going, you know what? I'm going to get a Dairy Queen. It's like, you know, I'll get a, I'll, I don't know what's on Dairy Queen's menu, but I know one thing I like in Dairy Queen. It's the only thing I've ever bought there is a chocolate malt. So I'm driving and I'm driving. I'm like, you know, I need to pull in. I got some gas. Pulled in, I saw the big Dairy Queen, uh, right, like mile down from the. I could see maybe half a mile, mile from the the gas station. Saw the big the D the Q. I was like, let's go. Need some sugar. Need some ice cream. And I pull in, you know, and again, you don't, uh, you know, the American way. You don't get out of the car to get into the store and get your chocolate malt. You go through the drive-through. That's one of the great things. Great technology. Drive-throughs are awesome. So I go up to the thing, and I, again, I don't even look at the menu. I know exactly what I want. Large chocolate malt. I'm really tired out. Yeah, I'm a pig. I went for the large one. I, I had a long drive ahead of me. Large chocolate malt, please. Then there's a big queue, so, you know, by the time you get to the window. And the lady says, hey, how you doing? That's $7.80. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? She just goes, $7.80. I'm like, just, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude. What do you think I ordered? Because like $7.80 to me is like, I don't know, a kid's meal or, you know, a burger. Again, I don't know what Dairy Queen said, but it's not a chocolate malt. She's like, large chocolate malt, isn't that your order? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and kind of gave her a look. She's like, that's $7.80, please. And I'm like, oh my God, $7.80 for a chocolate malt. Why did this happen? Right now, I don't think I've ever paid more than $5. And if I did pay more than $5, it might have been in a high state tax, uh, sales tax state. It might have been like $5.50 or $6. I have never paid anywhere near $7.80 for a large chocolate malt. 
if you're listening to this and you're in America, I feel your pain. You're like, yeah, that's the way it is. You have problems with meat. I had a friend of mine tell me she normally does like house parties. And she's like, I normally get like a big piece of brisket. And like, you know, it does me for the party. And then it does me for a couple of dinners in the days that follow. She's like, normally I pay $55 for this piece of brisket. And I think she said it was, the, she just did it for last week or a week before. There's $120. Meat is as expensive. As someone who's touring your country and is relying on a, a, a hotels and motels and is car hire and food, I can see the pain. What is going on in your country? But if you want to understand what's going on, you got to understand the economics. And I'm going to explain it to you. And then I'm going to link it back to our, oh my God, our favorite politician. Because our favorite politician did an amazing stand this week. It was, oh, I don't know about you, but when I saw our favorite politician, I was awe-inspired. What this politician did was, it just warmed the cockles of my heart. Because it sums up America perfectly. And this is why... I'm going to link these two stories together. By the way, in case you don't know who our favorite politician is, of course you do. It's AOC, right? Oh, we're big AOC guys on, and girls on this show. But here's the thing. I want to make the case of why you're seeing what you're seeing. And I'm going to make it as simple as possible for you and understand who this is going to hurt the most. You see, a simple economic in definition of inflation is you have too many dollars Chasing too few products. And what you have had in America, and by the way, this is not an American problem. I know it's to you it is because it's in your country. This is a worldwide problem. You cannot shut down an economy like a light switch and go, what we're going to do is we're going to stop the economy for coronavirus or any other topic and then just sort of go flick a switch again like we do with a light and just go, hey, we're going to switch that light back on and everything's going to be fine. It isn't happening. There are many economic problems. There's a chip shortage. If you want to own a new car, want to buy a new car, you're probably going to have a three-month waiting list. If you want to buy a new iPad or anything that revolves around these chips, you've got a one, two, three-month waiting list. Why is this? Production. But you're also starting to see food scares. I've seen this in your country. Like this, I, I, I sent a message to my mother, and she knows this. And if you know me long, well enough, you know this is a 100% joke. I was with my friend Laverne. She used to work for the Blaze. I've been staying with her for the last few days. She brought me to Sam's Club. We walk into Sam's Club and I see all these tellies. It's great, like 72, it's 84 inch tellies. I'm like, that'd be really cool to watch a ball game on. And I, I've never been to Sam's Club before. It was a, you know, a new experience. And as we turn around the corner at the TVs, I see Christmas trees and Christmas decorations and Santis. I'm like, I took a picture and I sent it to my mother. I was like, I hate America at times. I just, the idea of it being early September and I see Christmas stuff. Is horrible. And she's like, you think that's bad? You want to see what's going on in Ireland and England right now. What's going on is everyone's like freaking out. They're saying, you know, you won't, not everyone will get a turkey and a ham this year for Christmas in Ireland and England and Europe. There's going to be a shortage of food. Hey, you want to buy your Christmas presents now because we'll be locked down by Christmas. All this rhetoric. This is not going to end well. And this is going to disproportionately affect poor people. Why is this going to happen? Because it's going to cause massive inflation that you're feeling. But I'm going to explain it to you why you're seeing it. And explain it to you in very simple economic terms. What inflation is, as I said, a pure definition is too many dollars, stimulus. Hey, you know, you, you can't work because of coronavirus or you haven't got a job. Guess what? You're going to get stimulus. You have all this money. You can do what you want. Too few products. 
Why did it cost $7.80 for that large chocolate malt? Let me break it down for you. You see, the thing that people don't seem to understand, whether they are just pure ignorant or they just don't want to understand, is the economy is interconnected. To get that large chocolate malt from Dairy Queen, and I'm going to use that as an example because you've all had some type of malt or some type of milkshake in your life, and everyone gets it. You see, all we ever focus in is on the end result of what does it cost the consumer? And if we, and that's if we're lucky, if people actually even discuss that. But what you have to understand is this is a process. And if you start having problems with production, then you start causing inflation. And then ultimately, it always gets to the end user. And that is you, the customer. And you're the person who gets screwed because of government interference in the economy. Let's use that large chocolate mall, shall we? You see, it's not easy just to look at a large chocolate malt going, hey, I drove to Dairy Queen, went through the drive-thru, got a large chocolate malt, and I just picked it out and I got it and I was sorted. But the journey it took to get there is incredible. And it took many different people in many different states and in some cases, many different countries to all come together to cooperate to get you that large chocolate malt. I'm going to prove it to you. You see, a lot of companies operate on a simple principle of a gross profit margin. And I'm going to make this real simple. If you have a product that costs a dollar, usually in some places, it obviously will vary from industry to industry, it might be 50%. I'm going to use that number to make it nice and easy. So if I have a product that's a dollar, I will sell it, that costs me a dollar, I will sell it for a dollar fifty. Now, here's the impact that you need to understand. First thing, if you start having inflation and things start going up, their 50% profit margin never changes. So if all of a sudden that thing that costs a dollar to, to, to make costs a dollar 10 cents, it's not a 10 cent increase to you, the consumer. It's a 15 cent increase. Why? Because the profit also has to be included into the price. You, the consumer, get screwed by inflation. But what you need to understand about that chocolate malt is it's not just a one-step transaction. The economy is interconnected, and this is a good thing. And I'm going to talk to you as some of the people that's interconnected. So to get that large chocolate malt, what did you need? Well, you needed styrofoam or plastic, and you needed someone to shape it and mold it to make it into a cup and to make it into the parameters and the diameters of the cup, whether it's small, medium, or large. Then that cup had to be sent off to another company to print on it to print whatever logo was on it, if it's Dairy Queen or, or you know, if it's McDonald's or if it has a certain logo on it or has a certain design on it, and then it needs to be sent back. Then in another production firm, or maybe it's the same company, just a different department, had to produce a lid. They had to reduce the plastic. They had to shape and mold it again to the parameters to make that happen. Then you also had the transportation of getting the product that cup, that lid, from the warehouse to Dairy Queen store that you purchased it at. But that's only the cup and the lid. You have the straw that you needed to use to drink it. You have the paper that covers the straw. And again, you have to shape them accordingly if it needs to be a certain length. That's just a cup. Then think about all the things, the ingredients it's needed to get that to make a large chocolate malt. You need the milk. Well, you need dairy. You need a cow. You need the grain, you need seed to feed the cow. You need the equipment to milk the cow. Then you also need ice cream in the milkshake. So you need that even more dairy. You know, and then you need to freeze it and you need to process it and you need to churn it. You need sugar. 
And again, all these things require packaging of some sort to get from point A to point B. Then you need flavoring. So I use chocolate malt. You need the malt for the flavoring and you need chocolate. And you need to turn the chocolate from hard chocolate, from cocoa, into chocolate, into chocolate syrup, into make a chocolate malt. These are just some of the products you need because the economy is so interconnected. Now, if you have a system, which you have right now, where pretty much all around the world, large parts, if not all in some sectors, were destroyed by coronavirus, where they were sold. You can't open up. You can't operate. You can't do these things. Guess what happens? A backlog is created, and you have a simple problem where there are too many dollars chasing. I need all these products. And also, you we're going to have a second problem in employment, which we'll come to in one second. All the prices are going up. So the, prop, the price of the cup might go up, the price of the plastic might go up, the price of the printing might go up, the price of the milk might go up, the price of the ice cream might go up. And they're all little increments. In them by themselves, they're not that big of a deal. You know, milk might be like a buck a liter, and it's now a dollar and a cent. But even that, it, because of this product, it's an ice cream, it's a milkshake, all these other little products add up. And what happens is, to Dairy Queen, the outlet that I went and bought it in, or the outlet that you would purchase it in, the production cost went up. And what happens? So that malt might have cost $2 a couple of months ago or a year ago. It now costs $3. But then by the time you add inflation or by the time you add profit motive, again, 50% or 60% or 40% in each individual store, the person who gets screwed is always the consumer. That's the first problem that they have in your country. The second problem is a major problem, but this is exciting in the sense that if you're struggling right now, you have massive opportunities in front of you. So another story, and I want to link these both together, and then I'm going to get to our favorite politician, AOC. I'm driving through one of the days, and I, full disclosure, I know everyone loves me because mocks me because I eat certain foods that are like, why do you like these things? You know, surely you should be eating in restaurants or better stuff. I love Jimmy John's. And I had a, on Saturday, yesterday, I had a full-day educational ser- session. Went for seven hours nonstop. God help those people, right? Listening to me for seven hours straight was a great session. Obviously, it would have been great if more people turned up, but it was a Saturday. Ladies turned up. We had a great conversation. We had a great back and forth. We agreed on some stuff, disagreed on some others. But after, I was really hungry. and I was like, I need food. And where I was, I was in Clarksville. I was like, hey, I need a Jimmy John's. It's like four, It was like 4.30 on Saturday evening. What do you do? Where do you want to go? I didn't want to get out in a restaurant. I'm not a big McDonald's or Burger King or Sonic or Jack in the Box. I'm not that type of person. So, you know what? I just want something small. I want something nice, but I don't want to go to too much hassle. Drove to death to Jimmy John's. It was one like two miles down from me. And I've never seen this happen. Maybe this is common. But Jimmy John's had a drive-thru, but you couldn't eat inside it. And I've, if you know, don't know, Jimmy John's is like a big sub. Um, like you get meats. I get, always get the bootlegger. It's turkey and beef and lettuce, onion, tomato, and pickles and mayo. But it takes time to make after you place your order. So I'm at the window and I think he was a manager or assistant manager. I'm like, hey, what's going on in the store there, you know, that you can't get in? And he's like, oh, problems with hiring people or pe- problems with staffing problems, he said. And I was like, oh, what, you know, can he say we don't have enough staff, you know, because we have to run the drive through we have to make the sandwiches, but we also then have health and safety and make sure outside is clean. And we just don't have the staff right now, so we're sending everyone around. Now, automatically, when you, someone says staffing problems, you automatically think, what? right now, COVID. Someone's self-isolating, isolating, they're sick or they've been exposed or something, or, or they've had a bad reaction to the vaccine or, you know, different things. So I'm like, hey, you know, what's the staffing problems? Can't get anyone to, can't hire anyone. 
I'm like, what do you mean you can't hire him? No one comes. We set up interview after interview after interview. And if we set up 10 interviews, only a couple of people come. There's a problem, right? Massive problem. That's a bad thing for society because what happens? It affects the employment status of other people. It affects inflation. But also, it's a great opportunity. If you're struggling right now, because by the way, this is all, this was all around the country. I saw another sign where, I, and I, maybe this is just a unique American. I've just never seen it. I saw a, a chain restaurant hiring, and there's big billboard outside. Interviews are all day today. No appointment necessary. 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. No appointment necessary. Just bring a resume. Wow. If you're looking for a job right now, it's great times. If you're understanding, and especially when just talking to other people, what it's like in your country right now, if you work hard, you won't take long to be promoted. Just literally turning up, it gets you a really good job, gets you a job where you can grow. It will get you guaranteed money. It's really bad that that's where the economy is right now because of COVID, because of all the government stimulus, because of all the money, the free money that's been handed out. But if you're looking, if you're young or if you're trying to start your career, this is exciting. Now, link those two stories together. Why is this a problem? Because the only people that are getting screwed in this situation is you, the American people. You're getting screwed. Your dollar has been squeezed even more. But that isn't the full problem. When we come back, I want to talk to you about AOC, the wonderful, glorious AOC, and her great dress that she wore to some gala this week, where, oh, we got to make a political statement, baby. Tax the rich. I'm going to explain to you why at any time this is a bad idea, but why today in 2021, this is one of the worst ideas you can do. to AOC, I just wanted to give a big shout out. So I'm touring your country, 65 events in 85 days. I've been truly blessed with some great people, great events to do. I'm going to be doing a lot of media. I've just started. I was on Laverne's show. She used to work for The Blaze on Friday. She got a great local show in, in Tennessee. I've been on other shows. I've got many other appointments coming up over the next two months. But to make this all possible, I've invested $10,000 of my own money. And that's all I have. After that, I have no idea. Also, when I go back to Ireland, I don't know if I'll ever have another job again. So my future is very much up in the air. It's very scary, but I'm not going to think about it. But to help out because the, the economy and things are so incredibly expensive, as you can know, I set up a donor box page. I can't do a GoFundMe because they shut me down last time. I did a donor box page. It's donorbox.org slash freedoms disciple. I'll be updating it every Monday. You'll see exactly where I am. I'm a good steward of your money. I'm not looking to, you know, get, you know, if you give me money, I'm not looking to have a great time. I'm not doing personal stuff. I'm not staying in fancy hotels. I'm staying in really, you know, cheap motels. I will say this, just a little story. If you want to laugh at my misfortune. Um, I'm not looking the best right now because I stayed, I'm on a really tight budget. I'm trying to make every penny go far. And there was this hotel like, and it was like $42 for the first night or for a night. And I was only staying there one night. And I got into the hotel, dropped my case. And I always put water, wash my hands a lot. And I washed my face and I was tired and I was hot. And I was just like, I just needed to be refreshed. And I go over to the, um, to the sink, uh, literally walk into the room, leave the case, switch on the light, go to the sink, start washing my hands, start bending over to throw water on my faces. And, 
open my eyes, there's a roach going one side way of the room and the roach going the other way of the room. I'm like, oh my God. But the reason I'm saying this, if you want to share is I also have these lumps on my face. Now I've got bitten. I, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same hotel because if it's, if the roaches, if they have roaches, they have bed bugs. Maybe it's another hotel. I don't know, but my head has like one, two, there's five lumps in my head. I have some on my hands. I have some on my arm, one on my elbow, two on my stomach, one on my leg. It's not funny. I don't mind the ones that are hidden. You can hide them, uh, you know, jumpers and, and trousers, but the ones on my head, I'm really self-conscious. I'm looking at myself on Zoom now. And I see all these red things. So if you see me in the next week, I apologize. It's not anything bad. It's I got in a bad bed and I got bitten to pieces by bugs. But I'm not looking to stay in fancy hotels. I'd be just staying in just average two-star hotels just to lay down my head. But um, to everyone who donated, like so many people have donated. It's been amazing. So I just want to give a big shout out to each and every one of you who did. I, I can't do this without you. I'm here not telling you what to do. I'm here trying to help you and, and make make a positive impact in your life. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to tell you America's not dead. America's not over. That our best days can still be ahead of her if you act and do these certain things. And I'm going to do them with you. So to anyone who's donated, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I can't do it without you. But also know that if you do donate, because I know how money, money is tight, and if you want to donate, please do. But if you do, I won't be on fancy. It's no, no frills expense. It's literally you know, economy tickets on planes, economy cars or full-size cars because I'm a bigger guy and I've got heavy travel to do or just you know, standard hotels. I'm not doing Hilton five-star, baby, in your time. It's not who I am, and I'd never do it. So you, your economy's in a bad way right now, right? The inflation's up, products are up. What you need to do at this point in time, because you have a chip shortage, because you're having all these problems, what do you need to do? You need to get government out of the way. And what you need to do is unleash your people. You need to start getting to a point where you go, go pursue your happiness. That used to be in a document somewhere, that you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness and keep the fruits of your labor. What we need right now is massive innovation. What we need is job creation. What we need is getting people off the government dependency and becoming free, sovereign, independent people. So what you're seeing right now is this is not popular. And inflation and, co and costs are going to go up. Because there's, as we said about in the first segment, inflation. Too many dollars chasing too few products. So AOC is at some gala this week, right? I wish we could get to a point in time where politics would just leave us the hell alone. Honest to God, it's it's just, oh my God, just go away. First of all, I could care less. I, to show you how bad it is, I researched this. I still can't remember what gala she went to. By the way, I did see pictures of her in her fancy dress because there was a message on her dress which you're going to discuss, but I didn't see her wear one mask. Do you ever notice this? Oh, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. When it comes to me, though, mm, no. I'm going to be all around people. I'm going to be around all these rich elites. And do I wear a mask? I didn't see any. Now, maybe she did, but the pictures didn't have it. But she's saying tax the rich. Let's deal with this in a factual way first, and then we're going to talk about the impacts of the economy and why this is going to screw you, the American people. The stats are simple. In America, and when it comes to income tax alone, the top 1% of all Americans in income terms pay 40% of the taxes. The bottom 50% of people by income level pay 3% of the taxes. Now, in case you're just listening to this and you've never heard these stats, let me just repeat them just in case you're like, hey, what, what, what figures were they, John? 
I'm, I'm, I'm a bit confused. You see, you kind of rushed over them. Uh, you know, your voice today, it's a bit different. You know, it's, you sound a bit poorly, you know, you, let me give me those figures again. Okay. The top 1% of earners in America for income tax pay 40% of all taxes. The bottom 50% of earners pay 3%. So AOC is out there going, ah, oh, tax the rich. First question I always want, and I never, ever get an answer for, even from people who I like on the left, who engage me. And I don't agree with them on anything, but at least they're honest and they'll engage. At what point is enough enough? What point? So using these figures, the top 1% pay 40% of taxes. What's enough? 45%, 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%. Can we just get a number? Can we just go, hey, this is enough. This is at this point, we stop. They never do that. But also, your economy's in trouble right now. What do you think taxing the rich is going to do? This idea of we just need to tax the rich as some type of economic solution is asinine and illogical and also a barefaced lie. Because even, here's another stat for you. Those top 1%, heck, let's expand it. Let's make the top 5%. Oh, that doesn't seem enough. The top 10% of all money earners in your country, if you tax them at 100%, 100%, there is no money for themselves, any cent that they earn. And let's assume, let's ignore the laws of human nature for a moment. Let's assume they don't reduce their workload one iota. They don't phone it in. They make the same work. They make the same phone calls. They're the same determined even though they've no motive for profit, they will still work as much as they did beforehand. If you tax them at 100%, you don't even come close to having a balanced budget, let alone all these big government proposals that you want to propose. Heck, you could tax everyone at 100%. Every any cent that you earn in your economy, and you still don't come close to paying for all these bills. So at what point is enough enough? But secondly... What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen to the economy? What do you think is going to happen to the poorest people in society? What do you think is going to happen if you raise the taxes? You see, this, there's this asinine, illogical, and in some cases, I know some people it's just a case of ignorance, but there is this malice argument from people like AOC and people in the Hill and people in the media who go, we just need to tax the rich. And if we tax the rich, we're just taking money from them and it's not going to affect anyone else. Bullcrap. Bullcrap. Because what do you think they're going to do? Let's just give an example. Because they'll use this example. If someone earns $10 million, they shouldn't have this much money. What we need to do, and let's just use a simple number. Let's keep it simple. Person earns $10 million, and they're going to tax them at 50%. They'll just say, well, then we take five, he takes five. Fair, right? No, it's not. But let's just play along for a moment. Do you think they're going to just accept a t- a, that much of a pay inc- decrease? Do you think they're going to go, well, next year I got to earn 10? No. They're going to say, next year I got to earn 12. And if they're part of a business, that involves, what does that involve? That involves charging more for the services. And eventually it might be a frontline service or it might be, there might be a farmer or it might be different things. What happens? It increases the cost of production on their product or service. And invariably that product or services will go up. And guess what happens then? 
the price eventually gets to the consumer and you pay it. So when anyone says tax the rich, what they're hiding behind is we want to take more money for ourselves to get more power, to put these people in their place. But ultimately, you, the individual, get screwed. Now, why this is a, that's a why this policy on its face is bad at any time. In 2021, where the economy is on its knees, it is horrifically bad. Because what we need to solve this right now is less government, less presidents, less politicians, and leading people to pursue their happiness. Because what you need to do is if you get to a system where you start increasing prices, eventually comes a point where people stop buying. There's always that tipping point. It's not a set figure. Let me give you a simple example. Think of any product in your head. Let's just take a simple thing of, um, oh, because I had a Reese's Pieces earlier on, right? It's in Walmart and I bought a pack of Reese's Pieces. It's really good. I have never seen these before. Maybe Americans have had them for a while, but it's a Reese's Big Cup with pretzels. Really good, right? I think it was like in Walmart, it was like $139. i am going to pay $139 for those two cups. They're really good. I need sugar. Heck, I might go up to $150. I'll still pay it. I might even go up to $2 for someone like me, and I'll still pay it because I really like it. I only have like one every few days. But at some point, and it will be different for everyone, at some point, it will hit a point where I'm just not paying it anymore. It might be $2.50, it might be $3, it might be $5, but at some point, I'm not paying for it anymore. I'm not going to say, no, I don't have the money. I need stuff, other stuff more importantly. I need milk, I need cereal, I need fruit, I need vegetables, I need meat. At some point, I say no. And at some point, each and every one of you say no. Now, what happens then? Oh, well, we're just taxing the rich. We're just taking all the money off, off of those millionaires and billionaires. Well, eventually, if the company, and that happens on a start large-scale basis, that prices go up because of inflation and also because taxation is going to go up because taxing the rich is this cool mantra, guess what happens? Eventually, a tipping point happens and sales start going down. Now, even for my most economically illiterate friends, when sales start going down, what generally follows for a company? Think of the big bad capitalist argument. When sales go down, what eventually happens in a company? You start laying people off. You start restructuring. And by the way, yes, sometimes that's the rich people in the company, but a lot of time it's the people that you claim to represent. It's the people at the bottom. It's the people who are disposable, as they would say. The people who don't add much value to the company. It's those people. It's the people who are on part-time wages that get laid off. Now, why would you propose this? Or why do you think it's cool at any time? But why do you think it's cool to do this when the economy is on its knees? We need to start having these conversations. And I know you're probably laughing. going, why are, you why are you trying to get me to care about you paying for $7.80 for a chocolate malt? And why are you trying to care about you know, pretzels and Reese's Pieces? I'm trying to use these as examples. Because you're struggling right now. You can see it. How much is toilet paper? How much is orange juice? How much is meat? How much is your electricity? How much is gas? How much is things in your everyday life? The reason this affects absolutely everyone in the economy is if you're at any level, if you're at Glenn Beck's million-dollar lifestyle or you're at someone who earns minimum wage lifestyle and is living paycheck to paycheck or anywhere in between, you have a certain amount of disposable income. You have a certain amount of income that you spend. A disposable income is what? 
Disposable income is you get, and again, let's just keep it simple. You get $500 a week to live off. That's your wage from the, gov- from the company you work for. I nearly said government because they're the same right now. I look at all the benefits around the world in America and Ireland and England. It's, it's like working for the government, which is not a good thing. But you get $500. You got to pay $150 straight off the bat for your mortgage or your rent. You got to pay $50 for light and heat. You got to pay $50 for your phone and stuff and your gym. You got to pay a hundred and something dollars for your food. And then you add up all these other bills that you might have. And at the end of every week, you have $50 to spend. It's your disposable income. And let's say you're just irresponsible and you don't save a penny. All you do is spend all your disposable income. After your bills are met, you've got this $50. That's what you do. If you have normal economy, you might be able to go, well, I've got $50. I can go to the cinema. That costs like $10. I can go get a drink. I can have a Reese's Pieces at a dollar every day. That's $7. Uh, I can go to, you know, buy a large popcorn at the cinema. I can go buy a six pack of beer. You all have these things. What happens if inflation goes up? What happens if you start increasing taxes? Those prices will go up and then you're able to buy less. Whereas before you were able to have the few Reese's pieces, go to the cinema, have your six pack of beer and do a few other things. Then you've got to make a decision. When you still only got $50, what happens then? Well, maybe I don't have a pack of Reese's pieces every day, or maybe I don't have a six pack. I have a four pack. What happens to the sales of that company where you reduce? Their sales go down. And if enough people's sales go down, guess what happens? Layoffs. What happens then? You create this cycle. Those people are now unemployed and are not buying the product. So naturally, their sales go down of their companies. This is a vicious cycle. It affects everyone, but the people at the bottom of society would always disproportionately affect. Why? Because usually 99% of the time, they're living paycheck to paycheck. This is immoral. This is wrong. And what I'm talking about when I'm going around talking about reclaiming America's narrative is you need to understand your founding principles and the founding principles that are key to know on these two policies and on every economic policy. You have a God-given right to pursue your happiness and you have a God-given right to keep the fruits of your labor. It's what made America exceptional. It's how America innovated and created. It's how you changed the world from a pure materialistic point of view. Because up until 1776, this idea of been working for yourself, this idea of pursuing your happiness, but this also this idea of pursuing your happiness and keeping the fruits of your own labor, if you're successful, was a novel, unique idea. It's one of the reasons you're exceptional. It's an idea that needs to be embraced. Because prior to 1776, why we didn't see much innovation for the prior thousands of years was what? People weren't allowed to pursue their happiness. But also, even if they were successful, even if they had this great, grandiose idea where I have got this solution to society, this is the product that's going to help us. If it was successful, the king would come along and take their company and say, that is now mine. That now belongs to the state, and I will take the proceeds. And if it was a benevolent king, he would do the exact same, except the only difference is if he was benevolent or she was a benevolent queen, they would say, exact same thing, that's now mine, that now the proceeds go to the states. But to show you how benevolent I am, you can come work for me. The idea of America is built on many principles. Uh, pursuing your happiness, pursuing the American dream of being free, of being independent, of being sovereign, is an idea we need to start embracing again. Are you with me? Are you against me? Because the time to make, to restore America's narrative is now. 
There is no tomorrow on this. There is no next week, next month, or next election. Either we start laying the groundwork on these issues and so many other issues, or we're done. And when I say we're done, I know you might say, well, you're not an American. How can you say we're done? America's done. But if America's done, the rest of the world right now is done. It's time to wake up and reclaim America's narrative. social media i'm not on it a lot but i'm sharing pictures and different things experiences and different speeches i was on a I shared a rumble speech from where i was in st george last that uh, it's now 10 days ago it's incredible this tour is going so quickly but i'll be sharing different images and i, I met mayor glenn, glenn jacobs aka kane from the wwe this week it was a real cool experience it was really refreshing to actually talk to someone who number one was nice behind the scenes, but two actually got, he actually gave in, he understands what libertarianism, whether you like it or not. It was actually refreshing because most libertarians don't know what libertarian stands for or what it stands for from a philosophical point of view. But if you want to follow me on, on there, I'm on Facebook at Freedom Disciple, on Twitter, Freedom Disciple. Just, you know, send me a message, get in touch. I love engaging with you, but just please bear in mind, I'm on the road a lot. I don't have social media on my phone because I need peace. But I'll engage with me and if, if just be patient with me if I don't respond straight away, but I always do. I want to share one last story with you. And I'm sharing this story to give you hope. And I'm sharing this story because one of the things I guess, and I've gotten on this speaking tour so far and from different places is I get it from either, you know, because after the presentation I do, I do a Q&A. And anyone can ask any question they want on any topic. Sometimes they want to know more about me personally. Sometimes they want to know different things or they have questions on the, uh, the philosophical things I talk about or why I dismiss politics or because some people always think I do when I don't. Or they ask, you know, different questions. But one of the questions I always get is, John, I'm just one person. What can I do? I want to share a story with you. Martin Luther King had a great saying, and it's so true. Anyone can be great because anyone can be served. That's a uniquely Christian message, but it's also a law of nature. You can help anyone you want right now. It's incredible. You have that power. You may not want to, you may not like to, you might be, you know, many different reasons why you want, but you have that power. I'm going to share a story with you from history, and then I'm going to share a story with you of one I witnessed this week of just a simple way of changing the world. The historical story is one I think I've shared of this story before. But I'm sharing this story in Reclaiming America's Narrative's presentation because I think it sums up how many people feel. There's anger in it. There's frustration in it. But also there's a solution. And it changed the world. And the story is this. It's prior to, you know, your founding. It's prior to the Declaration of Independence. It's you're still part of the United Kingdom. And you basically have all the local states meeting. Or not, they weren't called states back then. They were colonies meeting. And Massachusetts was under attack. And the king is bombing Massachusetts and he's killing Massachusetts people. There was a lot of different issues going on there. And John Adams is in Philadelphia. And John Adams is trying to make the case. Listen, guys, come on, wake up. Wake up. Feel, you feel that right now, right? Wake up. You can feel a lot like John Adams right now. He's frustrated. And he's trying to explain to all the people in Philadelphia, look, Massachusetts is under attack. The king is bombing us. The king is taking our stuff. The king is, you know, killing people. He's like, we got to stand together. We got to help. We got to do something. 
And he's making the case of why this affects everyone. And of course, because, you know, there's a lot of politics back then, a lot of people are like, oh, look, look, it's not that big of a deal. And he's like, they're killing people. Of course, it's a big deal. Help me. And he goes and he keeps making the case. And they're like, OK, look, it's a big deal. Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to do anything, but here's what we will do. We're going to write up a letter. We'll draft it. We'll get everyone to vote and approve it. We'll send it to the king. The king will read it. And then the king will hopefully the king will give us, you know, a benevolent answer and stop, you know, hostility. And John Adams is like, are you crazy? Guys, wake up. They're coming for you, too. By the time you this proposal that you want to, you know, write the letter, by the time we draft the letter, by the time we get everyone to agree on it, by the time it's shipped all the way over to England, by the time that it's read to the king, by the time the king digests it, by the time the king issues a response, by the time that response gets to us, how many more of my Massachusetts brothers and sisters have to die? Wake up! How much more land has to be stolen? How much more stuff has to be taken? We need to act and we need to act right now. And John Adams is losing it. John Adams is going crazy. John Adams is angry. He's frustrated. You can relate to that right now, right? Where you're angry and you're going to want to shake people and go, wake up, come on. When John Adams, they break for recess and John Adams is meeting and everyone else is kind of huddling around in different groups and, you know, talking to each other about maybe what John Adams is saying or different other different issues. And John Adams is walking around going, what do I have to say to wake my fellow countrymen up? You can empathize with that situation right now, can't you? You can feel the pain, right? Anyway, he's walking around and all of a sudden, George Washington, if you know anything about George Washington, very quiet guy, very humble guy, doesn't say a lot. But what he has is he's wearing this big suit and he's got a black armband. Now, I, bear in mind, this is in the you know middle of the 1700s. This is not when we wear black armbands for everything. This is very unique. And John Adams goes over to him and he goes, Mr. Washington, may I ask what the black armband is for? And he says, I wear it in solidarity with my brothers and sisters in Massachusetts. An attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. If you read enough of the writings of John Adams, you know that one simple story gave him hope. He was angry. He was frustrated. It gave him a bit of hope because somebody got it. Somebody understood their place in history. We don't have to do grandiose plans. We don't have to do these big shows of display. We don't have to issue the best press releases. We don't have to do the best posts on social media. We just need to stand up and we need to support each other. That's the historical story. Second story has nothing to do with politics. So on Friday morning, I was up. One of the reasons I, I sound the way I do is because I'm tired. I'm not going to lie. I had three or three, I think it was three and a half hours sleep on, on Thursday night. And an event in Newport had a great, you know, great set of people. Was really engaged in talking to them. Drove all the way back to Knoxville. Had a few hours sleep. Was on the road at like three thirty a.m. to drive to Springfield, Tennessee, which is all the way over the other side of the state, to be on radio with my friend Laverne. After we did the radio, we spent an hour talking. Had a lot of fun. Got to meet one of her a peep, uh, one of her friends. She does a nine seventeen project. It was great. Had a great conversation. Just just nice and fun and chilled out interview. She says, "Okay, I know you. I know you've been traveling during the night. You got to go home and crash. I'm going to drop you back to my house because I'm staying with her. Go have a sleep. I'm I've got to go do stuff. I'm like, hey, what are you going to do? 
She's like, I, uh, I'm part of my church and we feed the homeless and we do meals on wheels and we do a lot of service things. I got to go. I'll be back later on. We can do stuff. And I, do you mind if I come with you? And she's like, no, absolutely. Come on. But you're not tired. I'm like, no, let's go. Now, I'm not sharing this story to say, hey, great I am. I love serving people. And I haven't served people in a couple of weeks because I haven't you know, been in Turkey. I isolated. And then I'm over here, I've been traveling and doing speaking, traveling and doing speaking. I haven't served anyone. But the reason I'm sharing this story is because I want to give you some hope of how easy it is to change the world. So we get to the soup kitchen and they do meals on wheels where they have like um, the hot meal and the cold meal and they put them in these big containers. And then these old people, other people come and collect these containers and they deliver them. And it's church. It's all church money. It's all church run. No government funding, no government anything. It's just if you're hurting or you, you, know, you can't get out because of coronavirus or different things, we will deliver these meals to you. I think they deliver three or four times a week. I wasn't too much in that side of things. I was actually in the homeless feeding people. So what they would do is they would have the door and the homeless people would come up and some are, are down, you know, down and out, so have lost their job. Others are on drugs, others on addicts and different things. And it was incredible. And they would come up and they'd go, you know, I'm, I'm homeless. And they, they would have get a food bag and then they'd get a hot meal. And the hot meal that day was a, uh, what we were giving them. We were giving them cookies. We were giving them a bit of potato salad. We we're giving them some fries, um, some chips, sorry, uh, a drink. And then we got them a, a barbecue chicken or a barbecue pork, I think it was, in a bun. Look nice. It was a lovely plate. And you'd go out and talk to them and you'd have to engage with different people. And now, invariably, what would happen is they would come up and say, hey, can I have a hot plate? And you get them the hot plate and then they'd finish up on a drink. They'd finish up and they'd say, hey, can I have a food bag? And that's what we were all doing. But a lot of the people at the end would go, Hey, is is uh is the candy man around? And I hadn't got a clue what they were talking about. Oh, would you go get the candy man for me? Now, automatically, first thing is if you know me and about me, I'm a big Willy Wonka fan. So I was like, this is a cool name, but what are we talking about here? What we were talking about is these people are addicts, are in major pain, and are homeless, living on the streets. They appreciated the food. Everyone was really nice and kind. Everyone said, God bless when they're finished. But it's a hard life. The candy man was one of the preachers and pastors and priests at this organization. And what he would do is he would come out and pray with them. And he would give them like two or three or four little bars of chocolate. These are people who have frustration, have anger, have pain, have distress, have addiction. And the joy the pure joy on their face over a bar of chocolate. I spoke to you earlier on about Reese's Pieces. I'm a big peanut butter fan, so I love Reese's, right? How many times have I gone into a, a store when I'm driving and just you drive in and you kind of go, oh, I got to get some gas. And you got to go in and pay for gas because my credit card doesn't work on the, on the machine. So I always got to go in and pay cash, pay cash. And then you get like a Reese's Pieces or a Snickers or a drink. It just becomes part of our life, right? And then you, I always buy the, the cups. So like there's only one or two pieces in it. Sometimes some places I've seen only have one cup and that's great. It's only a nice, it's a bite. But you just put it in your mouth and eat it, right? It's just Reese's Pieces, baby. It's good. But, you know, it's just, mm, it's just good. It's just your routine. Yet when these people got a Reese's Pieces or a Hershey's bar or a good bar or a, a Babe Ruth, I think is it. What's that Babe Ruth bar? They smiled. For that split second in time, they had something to look forward to. They had the hope. They knew that, hey, I've got this bar of chocolate. No matter how bad things get, I've got a bit of candy in my pocket. 
and it was pure joy. To anyone who honestly thinks I can't change the world, I can't do anything. I'm just one person. What can I do? Now, this might sound cliche. Go to a homeless person and give them a bar of candy. You will have changed their life. You will have made their day better. That's a simple thing. But you could go volunteer. You can go get involved. You can go serve people. Go get involved in your church. Help addicts. Help people who are struggling with life. Go help a food room. Go volunteer at a soup kitchen. Go volunteer and help the military. Go volunteer anywhere. Go share a message if you want to get political. Go volunteer at food banks. Go volunteer, or not food banks, phone banks. You can change the world. This idea, if you want to start changing America, you need to stop looking at the top. You need to stop looking at the president. Hey, we, well, what we need is the new president in 2024. Look, that would be nice, but it doesn't solve all America's problems. The power is not in the presidency. The power isn't in D.C. Politically, the power is in the state's level. But even then, that's only the political power. The real power lies with each and every one of you. You can change the world. You must change the world. You want to change the world, start acting. Start helping people. Start loving people. I know this might sound a very Christian message or a very non-popular message in 2021, but it worked. It worked at your founding. It worked at Diamond Jesus. It worked at Martin Luther King. It worked with countless others. It worked with people like Mother Teresa. It's simple. Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. You have the power. You may not write all of America's story, but you will write one page of it. How do you want to be remembered as the person who was apathetic, who said, I who believed all the lies and said, I can't achieve anything? Or the person who rose up and said, I will serve. I am here. Because if enough people do that, we are at the majority. We win. Choice is yours. The battle isn't left versus right. The battle is those who will win and do the right thing versus those who are apathetic and believe the myth that they are powerless, that they are helpless, that they can't change the world. Because it is a myth. It is a lie. Anyone can be great because anyone can serve. As I always say at the end of the show, and this is the end of the show, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Time to start becoming good people again. Time to start serving people. It's time to start, if you do that, because many of you do, time to do more. We are at the precipice of history. How we act or how we don't act will go down in history. And all I will leave you with is one final question. How do you want to be remembered in history? Do you as an American, and I can't say that I'm not an American, I don't have the honor to say this, but do you as an American want to be remembered as the first generation who was at the battlefield and were the first set of Americans to not answer America's call, to not rise up, to not stand up, to be the first generation of Americans that said, this is the battle we can't win. Yes, we won all the battles beforehand. Yes, we defeated the English in 1776. Yes, we won the Revolutionary War where we, we redefined man's relationship with man and man's relationship with government. Yes, we overcame slavery. Yes, we overcame the Great Depression. Yes, we overcame World War II and Nazism and communism. Yes, we tore down that wall. Yes, we explored everything from the swamp to the stars. But what we face in 2021, oh my God, that is the belt battle that we can't win and we gave up. Or do you want to be remembered in history as a set of people 
who, yes, became apathetic for a while. Yes, who took your eye off the ball for a while and went right to the precipice of really bad times. But before you fell over the cliff, you woke up and you inspired and you re-energized and you re-found and reapplied your founding principles and started bit by bit by bit by bit removing yourself from the cliff and restoring America's narrative and ensuring and working together to ensure her best days are still ahead of her. The choice is yours, but it isn't really a choice when you understand history. Because while I did give you a choice of you can act or you cannot act, I firmly believe in the American people. I believe you will continue your heritage and your lineage and rise up, but not rise up out of anger or hatred, but will rise out of love, out of principles, and will once again restore the American Republic, once again work to be humble to restore America's covenant, and once again reclaim your place as the beacon of hope, of the beacon of liberty for the world, and usher, usher in a new dawn of freedom, where man can once again, as used to be on your founding principles and in your founding money, mind your business. That's what I believe. And not only do I believe it, I'm going all in to work with you to make it a reality. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. And remember this. America is grace because Americans are good. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 